Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share, she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal Series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, Down There, Sexual and Reproductive Health, The Wise Woman Way. And Abundantly Well, Seven Medicines, The Wise Woman Way, the newest book in the Wise Woman Herbal Series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Knees, a cancer diagnosis, adaptogens for long life, and abundantly well companion course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine. Welcome, Sarah Ellen. Hello, Susan. How are you doing this evening? Well, we're holding our breath. We think we might be getting a little winter. Oh, yes. Wow. I saw the map, the weather map. 
Actually, most of what was trying to fall as snow is just kind of like became wet. So it's 34. It's just not really cooperating that way. So, all right. (laughs) How's about you? Well, they were, I was just actually tuning into that before the call here tonight, and it, they painted a swath that included possibly our area um, and possibly your area, <laughs> it looked like, at least from what right. they were showing on exactly. there. Yes. And, yeah, mm-hmm. and so we're on the edge, too. We may get two to four inches tomorrow, or mm-hmm. it may just be a couple, like, a dusting and then um, – turn to rain in the afternoon. Warm. Oh, it's <laughs> holding on pretty warm here. Yeah. I got a wonderful letter from a woman that I met decades ago. And I was reading it over, thinking about sharing it. And it also occurred to me to really revisit the sentiment of writing, not emailing, but actually writing to people that you love and telling them that they're important to you. I'm not sure I would be alive today if I hadn't been blessed to meet you all those years ago. Your wisdom, love, compassion, patience, laughter, music, songs, delicious meals, talking stick circles, dances, dreams, rituals, plants, flowers, herbs, books, goats, and the beautiful land of your home nurtured my heart, soul, and spirit on so many levels. I do hope to visit again for more workshops. I do love to connect in dreams and online, but in person is the best. I hope you had lovely holidays. My love is always with you. Aw, wow. Mm. What a sweet I love that. Me too. Mm. Me too. It I would... is special to get a like that. Because you can read it over and over again. Yeah, yeah, and there's just, like the energy that that just uh, everything that went into that just seems like so much more than pulling up an email account and hitting send after you typed it in and didn't even check for typos, you know. Instead, write it out, <laughs> scribble it if you need to, whatever. But yeah, it's so and fun. It's pretty hard, right? Mm-hmm. There's like on the mm-hmm. front of it, there's all these children playing in the snow and they're making a, a big snowball that looks like the Earth. Aww. Nice. And of course, there's snow sparkles all over. It's so pretty. So, yeah, share share your love with those that you love. One never regrets having said, I love you. Mm. You might regret what comes after, but you're not going to regret having said it. Uh, uh, you know, um, I always like to uh, challenge myself 
And so this year, um, 2023, teaching at the um, Midwest Women's Herbal Conference for Linda Conroy, Linda asked if I would do a workshop on fats. Mmm. Mmm. Right? Yeah. And um, so I, of course, said, yeah. Cool. And it is cool. So part of it is, you know, go back and recheck what I think I know. Don't just, you know, be willing to, like, pass on information you've been passing on. Let me check. Has there been new information? Has there been new studies? What's the new thinking on this? Right. Remember, I talked about the woman I was seeing, the lymphedema specialist, and I asked her a question. She said, I wish you'd asked me last year because I would have had the answer. But this year, there's all this new research that throws all that in doubt. Oh, Right, so I thought, you know, what if the same thing has happened about fats? So our guest tonight, Dr. Shilpa Ravella, is an author with an expertise in nutrition, A Silent Fire, The Story of Inflammation, Diet, and Disease, is her first book. Mm. She's going to be with us tonight at 9 o'clock, so stick with us until then, or come on back if you have something else to do. That's 9 p.m. East Coast time. And we're going to be talking about fats and inflammation, of course, because one of the holy grails of my fat education was omega-6, bad, bad, omega-6, good, good. Omega-6 drives inflammation. Omega-3 cools inflammation. Mm-hmm. Our original diet, aboriginal diets, indigenous diets, understood diets as discovered by Weston Price and other researchers, have a ratio of omega-6 to omega-3 of 1 to 1 or 2 to 1. Yikes. The modern American diet is often close to 100 to 1. Oh, yeah. No, I found one article that said that corn oil could be called the golden fire for the web of inflammation it's spread throughout the body. Yes, I've heard something similar to that. Yes. Yeah. So I, I want to ask her if she agrees with that. Here's this, you'll hear the rest of her, like, bio is stunning. And, you know, she's very well respected and done a lot of research into this. So it's, I thank you, you know, the powers that be that I get to spend some time this evening um, with someone who can help me get straight about that. So awesome. Yeah, and so far, everything I've been reading has not led me to say, oh, dear, I was really wrong about that. I'm still feeling really good about olive oil, really good about butter, really good about my organic bacon fat. Mm-hmm. Really, mm-hmm. Good about the fat, really good about the fat in my bone broth. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. A long time ago. Somebody gave me a jar of coconut oil. I said, 
oh, this is a really great fan. And I used it a couple of times, and it got shoved to the back of the refrigerator because I didn't much like it. And that was years and years and years before that coconut oil craze. And I like coconut oil as a base for um, infusing herbs. I don't know if I'll go back to using olive oil. I like coconut oil so well. Wow. And that's partly because I don't have to use beeswax. Mhm. Mhm. Because it just in my it you know where I live it's solid most of the year so I don't need anything to solidify it. Okay. <laughs> uh, but I I was in a situation in which I was staying with people, and the only only fat they had on hand was coconut oil, and I wasn't in a situation to go out and buy anything else. And it was interesting to me how, as the days passed, that I used more and 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 more coconut oil and couldn't get satisfied. My, My craving for fat just kept going. I felt like I could go out and buy a stick of butter and just eat it like a popsicle, you know. Mm. And I'm not Mm. seeing anything. I just did a show for um, Healthy Life on um, important palm trees, including coconut, date palm, and oil palm, and did not turn up any new information that led me to say, oh, you know, I haven't, you know, been telling you enough about coconut oil. No, I've been telling you enough about it. If you like it and want to use it now and then, great. But don't, like, pour it in your smoothies or, like, sneak it past yourself. (laughs) I just don't think it's that all fired good for you. Uh, Oil palm, however, has a very lovely profile and surprisingly enough um, because that was another kind of litany that I had was you know palm oil bad 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 and bad in so many ways Um, and um, there are some ways that it's it's pretty bad Um, at one point I think there were like 650 indigenous um, nations uh, suing uh, oil palm plantation owners for infringement of their rights. So that that was that is bad. And there are places mm-hmm. uh, where rainforest has been cut down to make way for oil palm um, plantations. And that may not come back. In Costa Rica, we have seen some really brilliant reforestations. So when they say it can't come back, I'm not so sure because it's true tropics in Costa Rica. As a matter of fact, the first national park there is close to where my daughter has her home. And what they did there was they bought, a couple of white people bought a huge chunk of land, planted as many native species as they possibly could over as wide an area as possible over the first couple of years, and then walked away from it and closed all the roads and wouldn't let anybody into it for about 25 years. 
Wow. And it has really come back. It's one of our favorite places to go. There's troops of monkeys and there's little um, little um, shrimpy things in the water. So if you sit in the water and put your toes in the water, little shrimpy things come and, like, debride your toes, right? They eat the loose skin off you. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. <laughs> Uh, however, it takes like a huge amount less energy and less l- land than growing soy oil or corn oil. It's less inflammatory than soy oil or corn oil. And the waste product from squeezing the oil makes a really excellent biofuel. As a matter of fact, Indonesia, the world's largest producer of uh, palm oil, uh, primarily uh, produces uh, biofuels. Hmm. Yeah. So, not the terrible villain I thought it was. Hmm. Do we have anybody with any questions tonight? We do. We have three hands that have been raised in the queue. And I'll remind everyone listening, if you have a question for Susan this evening, please press one so that we can see your hand. Um, And Susan, are you ready for the first caller? Yes. All right. Here we go. And there are four hands that are raised from the 845. You are the first caller from the 845 area code. You are live with Susan. Thank you. Hi, Susan. This Hi. Is, this is Woodstock on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I'm going through winter, putting on weight. Um, my blood pressure is going up, and um, eating a lot of fried potatoes, and I notice I do. I do like a lot of oil and butter, and it doesn't agree with me. Put on five pounds during the last two months eating uh, fat food. I need it. Uh, I drink a lot of uh, ginger tea with honey and rose tea and uh, everything else that you know that I'm taking for Many years now, the Hawthorne motherwort and the the infusions, and I wonder, since my uh, my uh, uh, blood pressure is going up, um, is there anything that I could do? I know putting on weight doesn't help, and I'm not good at that. And any suggestions? I, I saw some interesting things about saunas. And saying that, in fact, what they found was that basically a sauna did pretty much the same kind of thing that cardiovascular exercise does. It makes your heart beat a little faster. 
It expands your capillary bed. It makes you breathe a little deeper. It makes you sweat. In fact, they found in studies that 20 minutes in a sauna is the equivalent of that amount of time exercising in terms of then after that stress, the heart returning to a more stable beat, the blood pressure lowering, and the metabolism of the person um, switching to fat burning. They were talking about doing a sauna a couple of times a week. The real difficulty right now is that COVID, of course, has closed virtually all the saunas in gyms in the local area. Virtually all, all that I know of. I have no ride and I have no sauna around here. So, yeah. so other extreme works too. And the other extreme, I am sorry to say, is far more available to you, although it's not as pleasant. Some people might say it is as pleasant, but the other extreme is to go outside for the 20 minutes and to get cold. I do go. I do go. I walk very, very slowly. And um, I and don't... Do you feel cold? Are you bundled I up so you don't feel so cold? No, I don't feel. If I move, I don't feel cold, but I move very slowly. I am very. I well understand. But what I want you to do is to actually feel cold. When you actually experience cold, when you feel cold, your metabolism changes, and it changes your blood pressure and how your body responds to fat. You mean just dress up lightly and just be freezing yes. a little? Yes. Oh, God. That's I'm my... sorry. I apologize. <laughs> I started with the sauna, which is cozier. Yeah, no, no sauna is... I, I, I can't do heat. But, but you know, it's just like it's out of, out of most people's reach at this point. So cold, well, golly gee, we can all do that and it again it doesn't have to be a lot of you can tolerate if you start by just saying okay i'm going to tolerate being cold for five minutes and then build it up bit by bit if you expose yourself to the cold even for a couple of weeks on a consistent basis what happens is that your fat cells start to make more mitochondria in response to that stress uh-huh. And the more mitochondria your fat cells make, the more fat they have to eat. So it switches how your blood sugar operates. It changes the whole glucose cycle. It's quite fascinating. It's called brown fat. Check it out. Several interesting um, studies done on it and articles talking about it that I was able to find. Mm-hmm. All right, I'll try that. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's one of the reasons that I was looking is because it's long been a hobby horse of mine that the best way to stay healthy is to stay cold. 
Yeah, I like to sleep with the window open and uh, to have the cold air uh, in my face. I do that every yeah. night. Uh, right. and, and well, unfortunately for you and me and Julian Tiberkley and Evie and all of us other fresh air lovers, um, they did not find very much support for that. In fact, they found that, that um, cold air while you were asleep was more likely to depress the function of the immune system. <laughs> but I'm so, warm for my blankets. I, I, yes, I <laughs> just on your face, right? <laughs> I'm like, well, darn you, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so I'm glad to hear your voice. I was thinking about you just the other day. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Bring blessings. There you are. Good. Oh, yeah. Are you ready for the next call? Yes. Okay. Uh, there are three callers that have their hands raised, and the next is dialed in for the 410 area. Hello. Hello. Hi, my name is Sandy. Hi, Sandy. What's up tonight? Um, it seems that I now have arthritis in my thumb. Um, what a drag. Yeah. So yeah, that's I was, yes, I mean, it's just starting, but I was wondering if there's any way to, like, um, build up the cartilage or do anything to help it besides well, just, like, pain control. Absolutely. Um, there's a couple of things that have been used really widely and for a very long time. One of the, the most prominent of them is comfrey leaf. Uh-huh. At this point, are you drinking nourishing herbal infusions? I am. I'm, I don't do the comfrey leaf so often. I do, I do have it, and I do it once in a while. So I guess I should be doing it so more. So you need to really jump in and do comfrey leaf like every third or fourth day. And uh-huh. make sure and make that rebrew. And in addition to drinking it, um, use it as a poultice on your thumbs. Mm-hmm. Does that mean just like put the the wet leaves on my thumbs? Just put wet le- Just stick your wet hand. Just stick your hands in the wet leaves in the pot, right? Uh huh. Okay. And just kind of squish it around with your hands. Feel it. You know, make it like Play-Doh in there, like you're playing with the comfrey leaves with your hands, so that uh-huh. it's, you're rubbing it around on the on your thumbs and into your skin. Your skin is very absorptive, and especially the allantoin in the comfrey, which is so healing to the cartilage and the fluids of the joints. Uh-huh. And what my what, what did you say about the rebrew? We rebrew the comfrey, which brings out the allantoin, this, the, especially okay. the joint healing compound. So we weigh out one ounce of comfrey leaf into a quart jar okay. and fill that to the top with boiling water. 
and stir it and then put more boiling water so it's really filled at the top and let it steep for four hours or overnight. And then the next day we pour off what we can easily pour off from the jar and then the wet herb that still has some liquid in it gets dumped into a pan and we fill the quart jar half full with cold water and dump that into the pan that's rinsing the jar out and getting all the comfrey out and putting on a fire, bring that up to a boil, stir it when it boils, turn it off, put a cover on it, and let it sit for three hours, four hours. Okay. I think I do that with Linden. You do that with Linden? Good. Do it with comfrey. Okay. 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 And you'll see, like with the Linden... You're going to get a lot more slippery, slippery stuff about it, out right. of it. Right. Right. Um, and, of course, arthritis, when, itis means inflammation. Uh-huh. Right. So yeah. it means inflammation in your joint. So you might want to think about what kinds of things that you're doing that might be inflammatory and what kinds of things you're doing that are anti-inflammatory and how you could do more of those. The things you already do and you already like that are anti-inflammatory and how, how can you increase those things to the detriment of perhaps the few inflammatory things that you're doing. Uh-huh. Okay. On the other hand, don't berate yourself. Dinosaurs had arthritis too. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. And they um, probably ate vegetarian diets. Uh-huh. Right? Okay. So, um it's not that you've done something bad, eaten something wrong, had the wrong thought, didn't meditate right. Really, you're Exhibiting unfortunate but natural mammalian uh-huh. problems. Okay. Um, okay. I I did I, I did your, also, your heart. I also have Go found ahead. that urtication, which is stinging the area that hurts with fresh stinging nettle, mm-hmm. um, will has the ability to put the whole inflammatory process into remission. Okay. I have nettles out back. Yeah. Now they're probably already poking up some too. Um, okay, so I have another question. I did the your heart program for blood pressure and I believe in that that you talked about drinking olive oil. So I've been taking a table well not, I don't know if it's exactly a tablespoon, but about a tablespoon of olive oil per day. Um, uh-huh. And I also I also read that's anti-inflammatory, but I, I listened to your show last week about the gallbladder flush where she drank half a cup of olive oil a day. And I think in your program you could take up to three tablespoons a day. Um, does that need to be spread out yes. over the day? And ideally with okay. food. With food, okay. So a okay. tablespoon so thought... on salad, right? Uh-huh. A tablespoon on your toast. Uh-huh. 
or to cook your eggs in, right? Right. Not just like a tablespoon of olive oil in a glass of water or by the spoonful. Not by the spoonful. On food. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so that it actually is utilized and so that it helps you to break down and absorb vitamins. The the link between olive oil and inflammation was discovered by a MD who was in Italy for a conference pre-COVID and he was served bread and a little bowl of oil and he said, what is this? And they said, you see, you break up your bread and you put your bread in the oil and then you eat it. And he went, okay. So he did that and it was like really fresh, local olive oil. If you've ever had fresh, local olive oil, it is so different than other olive oil. And he put it in his mouth and he went, oh, my, wow, this is, oh, this is just like, oh, explodes in your mouth and there's this whole, like, taste and, and sensation that goes on with the, the extra, 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 extra virgin local olive oil. And being a pain specialist, he said, this is exactly what acetaminophen tastes like. So the story oh goes. So uh-huh. the story goes. Uh-huh. And so somebody wow. checked, yep, chemically, olive oil works like acetaminophen. Uh-huh. Okay. It isn't. It's not the same, you know, chemical compound. But mm-hmm. it has the same kind of anti-inflammatory, pain-relieving effects. And ideally, it's used to um, take the place of calories that aren't anti-inflammatory. In other words, if you take somebody who is eating a diet that has a lot of inflammatory foods in it and they start just taking a spoonful of olive oil, it's probably not going to change much. But if that olive oil, because olive oil has 100 calories a tablespoon, if that pushes out 100 calories of bad oil, corn oil, soy oil, any refined carbohydrate, those kinds of things, right, then you've made like a a real home run. Uh-huh. Okay. So I will um, I'll start eating it with food and maybe Good. like twice a day um, yeah. do that. And yeah. I'll do the thing with the comfrey. That sounds fun. Yeah, I think it is going to be fun. And watch out, metal. As soon as you get big enough, you're going to be handled. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. How how often do you have to do the nettle? Like, is it a permanent? How thing often do you have, do you have to sting? Well, yeah. I do not wish to get your hopes up, but I will tell you my personal experience is once. Oh. Okay. I had. The base of my thumb is swollen up about as big as a golf ball. Mm-hmm. 
and it was so red, and it hurt so much. And I said, nettle, nettle, come here. And I went out, really stung it. And within maybe 30 hours, all of the pain and all of the swelling was gone, never to return. Oh, my gosh. That, that was maybe amazing. maybe 23, 24 years ago. Wow. Well, I will definitely get myself out there. When I taught about nettle, I shared the time with the group and let them um, talk about what was most important to them about nettle and what was most important was urtication. And Uh person after person talked about the results of stinging themselves or helping others sting themselves with nettle. Mm -hmm. Okay. And my Qigong teacher says, do you remember... Nothing gets to your joints if you don't move them. Right, right, yeah. Uh, The tendency when something hurts is to baby it and not move it. And the very first recommendation that I ever received to tell someone who had arthritis in their hands was to have them hit a pillow. Hit a pillow with the hands? Yes. Uh Uh-huh. You can either okay. slap it or you can make a fist and hit it. Uh-huh. Okay. And as always, if it feels bad, if it's painful, if it seems wrong to you, stop. Don't do it. But mm-hmm. give it a try. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I really You're appreciate welcome. it. You're welcome. Green blessings. Green blessings. Good night. All right, and I'll remind everyone listening, if you would like to speak live with Susan this evening, please press 1 so that we can see your hands go up in the queue. This time we have two callers that have pressed 1, and our next caller has dialed in from the 847 area code. From the 847, you are live with Susan. Evening, Susan. Good evening. I've got another inflammation-related question for you. Must be the um, theme of the evening. Yeah. Um, so a week ago, I was lifting up my children in a not so smart way, and I um, I hurt the area of my lower back. Um, I was just yeah, we were just doing silly things, and so I hurt my back. And I work as a full time ski instructor this time of year, and don't have a whole lot of time to like stay at home and rest and heal just by like not using my body. Um, and I've been doing, you know, all the herbal remedies that I could think of in terms of um, drinking linden and comfrey and using um, cannabis salve on my back. And, um, you know, I've tried icing it a few times. But I think what's happened now is my body's reacted to my, like, lower back injury by um, like overcompensating with my psoas muscles, so now the pain is <laughs> so now now the pain is like my lower back and kind of like moving into both hips as well a little bit. Right. Um, so so yeah, you know, of course, um, you know, like anything that would help with anti-inflammation that I could take. While, you know, I'm trying to use my body wisely, but I'm also re- still fairly active from day to day. Um, I haven't taken any pharmaceuticals yet. 
Um, so I just wanted to check in with you first and see if you could maybe ha maybe something can do that that I could try that I haven't tried yet. Well, basically, this is what the pharmaceuticals are made for. The situations in which we say, yeah, 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 it's absolutely true. What I should do is take some time off and really let my body heal and rest. But that's not going to happen. No. That's not going to happen. I'm going to need to move through this. And by using anti-inflammatory drugs, what you do is you prevent a chronic pain pathway from being set up. Mm. So that when you do have the time to take a little time off, the results of taking care of yourself will be really good. Right. So your aversion to taking anti-inflammatory drugs will, st will really work for you because you will not overdo it. For sure. On my way to California to teach, I began to hemorrhage and I bled close to a quart of blood. And what caused me to bleed was something that quickly became almost intolerably painful. And in fact, in order to teach, I needed to take two or three regular strength non-steroidal anti-inflammatories every three hours. And I did that. And I said to my body, hang in there. Yeah. Right? We have a commitment here. Hang in there. As soon as we are home, we're going to do whatever you need. And I did. And you will. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for the encouragement. Yeah. I personally like a leave. A leave. Okay. It's, to me, naproxen is the the least of the devils. Okay. But, but, you know, but when I was in Madison around Mountain Pain, I would take whatever I was offered, believe me. It's like, thank you very much. Yes, I'll take this. Thank you very much. Right. They, none, none of the, none of the um, op opioids did a lick of good for me. Yeah. Not even morphine. Didn't touch it. Green blessings. Good night. All right. Thanks so much, Susan. Good night. <laughs> All right. And it looks like we have one caller that has their hand raised, and you are dialed in from the 973 area code. From the 973, you are live with Susan. Susan? Yeah. Oh, Hi. my goddess. I love you. I haven't seen you in about 20 years, and I'm sure with the thousands of people you see every year, there's no way in hell you would remember me. But I've been there several times to your center with a large group of ladies called the Ladies of the 80s. 
And I am so grateful to you for the rest of my life because you saved me when we came on one of your weed walks at the end of the session when we sat in a little group talk circle. You asked if anybody had health issues, and I said, yeah, my lungs are shot. And you said, what do you mean? I said, well, I had allergy-induced asthma for years. And you said, sweetheart, it's not your lungs. It's your adrenals. And you told me about Sister Spinster, who is still my ally. And you told me, do as I say. Follow my instructions. Do it for two weeks, and I promise you, and if it doesn't work, send me the receipts for the tea that you buy, and I'll pay you back. <laughs> and guess what? <laughs> and you said to me, it might return in a few years, and if it does, repeat. And in two weeks, no asthma. I had been in the ER 12 times that year, and I explained that to you. And it was horrible, like a fish out of water. But anyway, may the goddess bless you for all the beautiful work you do. I have not been there for a long time because I don't live, I live a bit of a distance. And um, in any event, I have followed you constantly. I'm eternally grateful again. I still remember your birthday, which is coming up soon on the 7th. And um, you are just such a beautiful person. So I do have, I don't want to yak your ear off because I know there are other callers waiting. But I do have an issue I need to have you, to ask you to help me with. Toenail fungus. Damn it. Oh, oh, <laughs> no, the dreaded toenail fungus. Oh. Yucky. You know what? It's been going, this has been going on for 10 or more years. Oh. I went to a podiatrist. And he said, oh, I had athlete's feet at the time, too. I'm a chef. So on my feet, sweaty feet, all day long, getting wet, you know, blah, blah, blah in the kitchen. So he said, well, you know, it's probably because you're sweating and so soaking up some salts, which is a great thing anyway. It doesn't matter, you know, athlete's foot or not. Epsom salts are, I believe, pretty good no matter what. Um and then he said, I'm not going to prescribe, which I was grateful, I'm not going to prescribe Lamisil. Is that right? Because well, that I think was so. Deliver- what is it? Yeah, it's pretty pretty vicious stuff. Yeah, he said, I'm not doing that. And your nails are probably, it's the worst case of athlete's foot and toenail fungus I've ever seen. My nails were so Ooh. thick, you had Ooh. to cut them with a wire clipper, and they were brown, and Ooh. my feet were horrible. They were all gabby and itchy and so um he really didn't have any advice for me except to surgically extract my nails i'm, like, no, I'm not oh my doing goodness. that no no no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> but he said that was way more way less invasive than the lamisil because that would damage my liver so for wow. 10 years i've been using everything i possibly could I tried, I, I tried tree tea oil, and then I was when I was following you, I read something that you said you're not a proponent of tree tea oil, and so I said okay, forget, because it didn't help anyway. So then I tried my beloved oregano, that didn't help. So then I tried, um, oh God, I don't remember, 
the Lamisil over the all the all the over the counter stuff. Uh-huh. And then somebody told me who had a bad case, but not as bad as mine, Listerine. So I started with that, and it helped improve a little bit. But then I read that activated charcoal helps because it's really not a toenail issue. It's a gut issue. So I started with that a few months ago, and it seems to be helping somewhat. But I just I, I want your advice on DMSO. Are you familiar? I'm sure you are. I am familiar with DMSO. Because you're brilliant. I know that DMSO is widely used by veterinarians. And because of that, it's pretty accessible to people. Um, I do know that DMSO is not approved, however, for human use. And so we have to ask ourselves, why is that? You know, is it just like uh, falderol, that it's okay to use it on animals but not okay to use it on humans? I believe that the difficulty is that it causes a very intense permeability and that when it... I'm sorry, repeat that. It causes a very... Very very intense permeability of the skin. Uh, Okay. Yeah, it gives me a rash because I put it on my... I I have a shoulder injury Yeah. and I read about it and it claims to be a great anti-inflammatory pain reliever. But it's so increased insensitivity that most people will get a rash. Yeah. Yeah. It does warn against that. And it It is solvent by nature. Right. But it is used medically by the medical field. Approved or not, we all know about that, the FDA and all that. big. Well, what I said is it's used by vets. Yeah. It's proof of veterinary use, especially horses, especially used on horses. Right, it's called horse liquid by that term. Yep. And they use it for that reason, to heal. uh, Not what the people who use it with horses told me. You know, I wouldn't say it's wrong, just that they said, you know, we use this to get the other medicines they're using in more deeply. It's like the Aboriginal woman. Right said that they used to make their ointments in kangaroo fat because it took the healing into the bone marrow. Right, it absorbs. So what I've, here's what I've been doing. On my injury on my, uh, on my shoulder, I've had two surgeries. I've been told I need a third, and I said, no, no more. Because with each surgery, my shoulder is worse. The inflammatory process is so bad, so I drink the nettle. I make my comfrey oil, and I put the DMSO on first, and it burns like hell. But I found that if I put the comfrey oil after I put the DMSO, I don't get the rash. It doesn't inflame. Oh, clever you. Helping with the pain. You know, I, I love comfrey. I love my sister spinster. Oh, I learned from you. Uh-huh. I love them both. Uh-huh. They're my two favorite allies, although I grow others. So, you know, I, I I do other herbs and I dabble, and I'm a green slash white witch. And so, you know, but I don't know anywhere near as much as you do. So please help me with my toenail fungus. <laughs> okay. So let's start with hysterical hygiene. 
Okay. The fungus is not living in your gut. It's living in your shoes and your socks and your towels and your bedclothes. Okay. So it must be removed with vinegar. And you can soak anything that's soakable in vinegar or you can just wash it and in kind of the last rinse, dump a bunch of vinegar. Um, in the washing machine. A, yeah, you can dump it right in the washing machine. It's good for the washing machine, in fact. Of course. Have, I, I use, listen, I make a natural, I would say it's close to natural, floor cleaner with white vinegar, right. pure water, half and half, and then the, right. my favorite essential oil, which is peppermint. So, right. My difficulty with essential oils is they're drugs. I know you don't like them. I know that. But they smell good. I'm not liking them. <laughs> I tend only to use drugs whose dosage and strength has been established. Mm-hmm. Okay. And All right, so I'd be better off making it. That's not true of the essential oils for the drugs that I choose not to use. Right, right. So I'd be better right. off just like infusing so vinegar. To, we want to get rid of any spores. Meanwhile, what are we going to do about your toes and your <laughs> yeah. oh, nails? I want you oh, to my, find a my photograph. Are great. It's my toes. I want you to find a photograph, if you can, of your toenails before the fungus took over. If you can't, then a photograph of any toenails that look good, happy and healthy, toenails you would be willing to have, and I need you to put this photograph in a conspicuous place, on your bathroom mirror, on okay. the steering wheel of your car. I want you to imprint on your subconscious mind healthy toenails, healthy toenails, healthy toenails. Manifest. You need to have an image before you. Right. Okay. And it won't do it on its own, but it will help all of your other things. So can I... What, what is antifungal? What herbs are antifungal? Right. Golden seal is antifungal. Okay. Horsetail is antifungal. I've been taking that, but I, I read that... But you, don't, but you don't take them... And oak bark is antifungal. You soak your toes in them. Okay, so horsetail, would I, would I ingest the infusion? Because that's what I've been doing. No. Okay. You soak your toes in it. Okay. Or you soak your toes in golden seal. Or you soak right. your toes in oak bark. Which oak over- bark. Would be an infusion? Usually usually when herbalists say bark, we're lions through our teeth. Usually we mean the inner bark, the cambium. But when we say oak bark, we really mean, yes, indeed, the flaky stuff you can just take right off an oak tree. Know anybody who has firewood, oak firewood? Grab a piece of bark. Okay. And then what? Just put it in hot water? Uh, You got it. Okay. Oh, I love you. I still love you. Yeah, and I was impressed when I was reading up about coconut oil that it is a pretty good 
word antifungal and has been used especially in the tropics against problems with the feet. I just heard you speak about that with someone else. So is that uh, by ingestion or by soaking? On your feet, feet, on your feet. Nothing is wrong with your gut. You do not have fungus on your feet because there's something wrong with your gut. Okay. If you went outside and it was raining and you didn't have an umbrella and you got wet, would that be because there's something wrong with your gut? Absolutely not. No. Well, you have infections. Nothing wrong with your gut has nothing to do with your gut. And you know what? I would love to walk barefoot because I know that's probably good. Anything you do internally is probably not going to affect it. Yeah. So, you know, really, so what you, what you, the internal things that you can do are get the image, get this image really front and center, really focus on it. We know that the mind is very recursive, and that means that hundreds of times a day, your mind says, turn out fungus, turn out fungus, turn out fungus, turn out fungus, right? And we're going to replace that. We're going to replace that message. I don't, uh, but Susan, I don't do that. I get up in the morning, I'm like, okay, i got to put my Listerine on my toenails. Now I'm using the right The very first thing, toenails, I just have to put the Listerine on it. <laughs> which is essential oils. Which but I have to keep my feet dry, and you're right. Where is your energy field? What's that? Essential oils kill your mitochondria and destroy your energy field. Okay, thank you for that. First thing in the morning, you put it on your feet. No, I don't. And you're no. telling me you're not no, thinking no, no, toenail fungus? No, no, no. It's the I don't first thing out of, the, out of the gate in the morning. No, I don't put essential oils. Susan, I don't put essential oils on my feet. I put Listerine them on my... essential oils. Hello, wake up. What's that? Listerine is essential oils. Oh, I never knew that. Read the Thank ingredients. Thymol, eucalyptus oil. There's like six or seven essential mm-hmm. oils. Listerine. Oh, okay. Well, I have a friend who told me she had a pretty bad case, not as, not as bad as mine, but Listerine cured her problem. I never said that drugs don't work. Right. Okay. Drugs work. Yeah. But I know so, Listerine is an essential yes, oil. Side effects which do not include improved health. Right. So my preference, my choice, is to use things whose side effects are improved health. Right. Right. I know that about you. Because I've known you from way back. Exactly. So I'm, I'm not saying that essential oils don't work. Of course they work. Everything works, in fact. Right. Everything. I don't think I've ever met anything that doesn't work. Right. I've seen people cured of cancer by having a red string tied around their wrist. Right. I know someone who was cured by cancer from having crystals laid on her chakras. What? Yep. The most amazing things can happen. Right. Right. If you believe, right? What a wonderful universe we live in. It is. It's a beautiful it place. Our earth, is, our earth is our mother, right? So what I'm suggesting is that you be kind to your gut, eat cooked food 
drink your nourishing herbal infusions, and focus your mind on healthy toenails, and focus your feet on what can you what can you soak your feet in on a regular basis. So you get up in the morning and you do something great. You have a little thing with your horsetail infusion or your oak bark infusion, whatever it is. You're going to have made it the night before. Because we're dealing with a fungus, you're going to throw it right down the toilet after you've soaked your feet in it. You're never going to reuse it. Right, right. I know. And you know what I do with what's left of my nettle tea that I make? You know what loves nettle? Because I know it's very rich in nitrogen, amongst a million other things. Basil. If I pour, <laughs> if I pour the the you know the waste product of my nettle tea onto my basil plant bed, it grows into this deep, bushy, dark green, like forest green, uh, uh, abundant bush. It and lovely. that's what's left over after you've infused it. Isn't exactly. that amazing? So that's how beautiful it is, and how beautiful yeah. you are for teaching me that lesson. I will, for the rest of my life, be eternally grateful to you, Susan. Really. I was so thank sick. Thank you so much. And, no, you know, no, keep thank on you. spreading the word about nettle. It's people's medicine. She is. She is Sister Spinster, and she is the best ally that any human could ever find, in my opinion. Because not only does she heal with different, many different aspects, like you said, anti-inflammatory, um, of course, the adrenal glands, which, you know, you explained to me, listen, it's your adrenals, and what you said after that was, your adrenals are your stress gland, that's why you're blah, 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 and, you know, if you're an American, 80% of us in this country are so stressed that our adrenals are stressed because of it, and you explained it to me fully, and I listened to everything you said, and to this day, I will not forget one word of what you said to me. But she has helped me in so many ways. And here's what's funny. I own a catering shop. And I'll let you go soon because I know you're busy with calls. And I have a couple of little um, little planters outside my front of my my shop, my kitchen. And so the second year that I put <laughs> – the second year that I poured my um, – the, the leftovers of my nettle onto the basil plant bed, several praying mantises appeared and lived in the basil. And they laid two giant nests. And at first I thought they were wasps. They looked like paper wasp nests. And I said, no, no, no. This is where the praying mantis was. So I looked it up online. Sure enough, it was praying mantis. And hundreds of babies came from them. It was like... A blessing from the goddess. It was amazing. It really was. That's a mitzvah. And, it, yes. and it's all thanks to Nettle. Really. Thank you. Thank you, sister. No, thank <laughs> you, sister. And listen, you have a most blessed and beloved birthday ever. Thank you. I hope to see you soon. I'm really going to try to get back there soon. <laughs> all right. Thank you again. Susan, you're beautiful, and thank you for all your help and your Dream beautiful life. work. Mwah. That's Mwah. Enough. Back to you. Mwah. Mwah. Thank you. Mwah. Good night.
All right. All right. Well, we got some themes going tonight here. Inflammation, love, (laughs) gratitude. How nice. What fun. Mm -hmm. I am not seeing any hands that have been raised, so I'll remind everyone that if you have a question for Susan this evening, please press 1 so that I can see your hand go up in the queue. We do have an email question that came in um, actually a week or so ago, if you'd like to go to that. Oh, yes. They've been waiting, waiting. Yes. All right. Let's see. Here we go. Dear Susan, I recently got a new dentist who said he identified 11 cavities that all need filling. We've done the first four, but in the meantime, I'm having second thoughts. Since I am not having any symptoms of pain or gum inflammation, the gums were inflamed for quite a long time and seemed also to be receding. Currently, there is no bleeding and no swelling, and the color is normal. What is your take on cavity filling, Susan, especially when there are no symptoms? Thank you very much, and green blessings, Julie. There aren't any symptoms of a cavity. If a dentist says to me, oh, you have a cavity that needs to be filled, in every instance, the dentist has been pointing to an x-ray of my mouth and saying, look here, you can see this cavity that needs to be drilled out and filled. Now, Sarah Ellen, I'm going to ask you, have you ever had a cavity filled? Oh, this is my major interface with the medical world. Um, I will be honest and say I have a cavity and filling in almost every tooth of my mouth. So, yeah. And, and mm-hmm. when you have had them filled, has the dentist pointed to that cavity on an x-ray? Yes. Uh, x-ray, yes. I have, they will, they even have like a little pen, like it looks like a pen, but it's actually a camera. And they yes. will take a picture of that. Yeah. So, yeah, you, you generally know for sure. You um, do not have with anyone's word for it. Right, right. And I've been lied to before, too, without the x-ray, and it was really clear when I asked the dentist because it all of a sudden turned into a bunch of what if or this could happen. So it was, it, it, yeah, the x-rays are the tell. You have to have x-rays. They have to show you where the cavity is on the x-ray. That's what I know. And that's what Sarah Ellen knows, and so we make a majority of two. It seems to be standard practice that you don't take your dentist's word for what you need because... can cause unethical behavior. Somebody told me today that she, in her line of work, was working on commission on a percentage of what her clients were able to bill and that that was frowned upon because she was in a position to... um, Make it more profitable for everybody. Not that she would, but that it was understood that it could be done. 
And we just, let's not lead ourselves or other people into temptation. So make your dentist, and I'm sorry we waited a couple of weeks, make him show you the x-rays. And then email us again or call in. Right. And I just wanted to email to my box directly, so I'll let her know that you answered her question tonight. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And um, was that all for that question? I think that's about it for that question, yeah. All right. Uh, we do have two hands that have gone up. Oh, make that three. Three hands are up in the queue. So the next one is dialed in from the 510 area code. Five one zero, you are live with Susan. Hi there, Susan. Hi. Hi. Good evening. Um, last week, I heard you talking about the Hypericum Marketplace, but I couldn't yeah. figure out. Yes, I couldn't figure out where I could try to sign up to um, be listed in such a place. But I do have some. Hyperion oil, I've just harvested. Yes. Okay. Allie, A L L I E, at com. H E R B S H E A L I N G dot com. Okay, wonderful. I did hear you say that email address last week, but in reference, I thought it was in reference to something else. So that is wonderful. Allie is our go-to. It's Allie and Sarah Ellen and I who are, who are doing whatever needs to be done, and Allie is um, the one who really knows about how to get the stuff online. Awesome. It's great to have totally. a person like that on the team. Awesome. <laughs> so, oh, my goodness. Not me. <laughs> so, oh, my little good girls. <laughs> Yay. Yay, the good girls. <laughs> Yay. I just did a okay. Hypericum short today looking at a bunch of different uh, Hypericum oils and ointments. Mm-hmm. How exciting. I, yes, I just it's, registered it's a lot of fun. for the Hypericum. A lot of fun. And I was reading from Michael Moore's book about Hypericum. And uh, Lisa and Corey were both here working. And after I was done reading from his book, they said, oh, my goodness, that's a, that's, oh, that's amazing. Are you going to read more? And then I read um, from the Worst Pills, Best Pills News, Why You Should Avoid the Herbal Supplement St. John's Wort. A long article with a full-page chart on herb-drug interactions. Actually, it's not quite a full page. It's about thirty percent of a page. Mhm. Mhm. I bet you had a good laugh after that. Well, <laughs> not so much a laugh. It's that kind of thing that made me have this conference. Yeah. In fact, yes. what I said was that I entirely agree with them. Because what they say is St. John's wort, Hypericum perforatum, 
is a perennial plant with yellow flowers available in teas, capsules, and tablets. And I absolutely agree that you should avoid teas, capsules, and tablets. So I'm in complete agreement with that. Do people understand that that's what they're saying? No. Do people understand that when they have this list of herb-drug interactions, these are inferred, implied? Where we did have a bit of a laugh was that they go on and on about, even though all of the studies show that it's better than the placebo and as good or better than the drug, to use hypericum for mild, moderate, and even severe depression. Um, The studies weren't consistent as to dosage, so we don't really know what the right dosage is, so it's not really safe to use. And we don't really know that it will interact with these drugs, but because it might, it's not safe to use. And, And we had to laugh at that because it's really, you know, like two sides of it, right? Like we're saying, yeah. well, because because it might, we're not going to pay attention. But because it really has shown itself to be effective, we are going to pay attention at the dosage. Don't be, don't be so, you know, hate about it. It's an herb. So yeah. I, I like to read things that we might just like kind of want to reject and fi- find the truth of them. Why, why do people think this? Where, what has this come from in the same way that um, Ellen and I spent time before the Comfrey Conference trying to find people who had been adversely affected by Comfrey? We haven't even spent a single little finger looking for anybody who's been adversely affected by Hibericum. I guess because we were so disheartened by our search for those harmed by Comfrey. I don't know. It just hasn't occurred to either one of us. Mm-hmm. I'm, uh, I suspect that what we would find is people using dried forms of the plant, which I agree is dangerous. And one of our speakers is going to talk specifically to the point uh, that he says is a great misunderstanding of how hypericum affects the liver detoxification process and why this whole supposed idea that it interacts with these drugs is not what it seems. I see. Well, I'm very much looking forward to the conference. I've just been re-listening to the Comfrey Conference a bit recently. Um, as I've heard you talking about the Hypericum concert uh, conference. Well, if, you, if you've had any experiences with uh, Hypericum and you want to make a short, send those in as well, because I find the shorts just delightful. They're one of my favorite parts of the conferences. Excellent. So I, I invite you to share with us that way. Okay, what an honor. Okay. I'd love to. Great. Thanks for your call tonight. Okay. Thank you, Suzanne. Good night. Green blessings. All right. And we do.
degrees, if I may, though, Susan, can I share some information for how people can get these answers about the Hypericum Conference? Ali shared something Thank with you me today. Thank you so much. Yes. Okay. Fabulous. This is also in today's e-zine. So for anyone who's registered to receive the e-zine in your email, uh, you'll find this information there as well. So the link for Hypericum Shorts is live now. You are able to submit them online, and you will find that link as well as everything else, including the opportunity to register for free for the conference until March 15th. So go ahead and get it done at thewisewomanschool.com. Now, if you have a pen and paper handy, you can jot down the whole address, which is www.wise woman.com forward slash P as in people forward slash S J W C O N as in St. Jones Wart Conference. And that is the link that will take you to the exact spot at the Wise Woman School. You can also go to the wisewomanschool.com and search for the St. Jones Work Conference that way as well and register. Um, the link for the vendors uh, on the marketplace, there is a little bit of information there on the website as well at that exact same link. And the link for submitting your uh, vendor information has not been published yet. Um, that link will be announced soon and the marketplace will be available after April 1st. So do stay tuned to the wisewomanschool.com St. Jones Conference webpage and the link will be placed on that site as well. All right, so that's all of an update I have. <laughs> Thank goodness someone knows what's happening. Yay, I'm I, glad I got my email today. I so appreciate you, Sarah Ellen. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, I love you too, Susan. All right, mm -hmm. we have two hands raised. All right, nice. And you're ready for the next caller? Yeah. All right, from the 845, you are live with Susan from the 845. Hello, Susan? Yes. Hi, Susan, how are you? I'm well. Happy New Year. Happy, Happy Lunar New Happy Year. Lunar of the, New Year. A female water rabbit. That's right. This is my uh, cycle. Oh. Um, sort of, though. I'm not sure if I was a water uh, rabbit. Um, there's five elements that they cycle through, right, every 12 years? Yes. And I'm going to be 60, so that's the fifth cycle. Aha! Yeah. So next year would, I mean, in 12 years if I'm still around, that I would repeat that first element. Mm. Do you know what comes after the uh, water? I don't. Okay. And it Either depends do I. On, I think it might depends be Depends on which way you're going, like in the, the five right. element cycle that I've seen, there's like a, a five-element star drawn, and you can yeah. go around from point to point to point, or you can go as though you were drawing the star. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. Huh. So there's a couple um, of different orders they can yeah. be in. 
couple different ways to look at it. And I really enjoy um, the specifics of uh, Tibetan astrology. It's um, it's it, it's like the most in-depth uh, per- perspective that I've been made aware of. Um, so anyway, um, but then with the rabbit, there's an interesting 12, 12 year cycle, which then becomes the year of the cat. And that's when I was born. And that, I don't think that's Tibetan. I think that's a, a Chinese thing. A Chinese thing, the cat, the a rabbit. Chinese thing, yeah. So I always thought that was very, I always kind of thought like, ooh, that's so special that like this one uh, uh, animal, uh, what, is, what do they call it, cycle, totem, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, has has that every 12 years, there's something very unique about it. Right. And I certainly do have that cat thing going on. <laughs> <laughs> So I was greatly saddened to hear about the goats, and I was really happy to hear that you were going uh, to help new new neighbors uh, correct their property. So nothing bad like that could happen. Yeah. Um, I was surprised to uh, research, do a little research, and find out there was many uh, uh, plants that people often shrubbery that people often use at their homes that are very toxic to goats azalea is another one yep yeah rhododendron really rhododendron so i guess anything that's basically deer resistant because these are all deer resistant exactly all the deer resistant stuff so in general goats like the deer don't want to eat them it's usually, you know, some kind of off weird accident kind of thing if they do. Yeah, that's that was my next question. Like, why would they have done that? Like, because because they could. Because they're usually fenced in and they don't have access to a lot of green, and they jumped the fence or broke down the fence, and that was the and first green they saw. Yeah. Mhm. Oh. Mhm. Yeah. Only takes a second. Well, only well, um, and a second and a second that? and a second. <laughs> Like they had yeah, to eat yeah, a sufficient yeah, amount, yeah, yeah. not just like a tiny little bit. But they, yeah. they're goats. They can, they can do it. Well, I'm particularly vulnerable to grief when it comes to death, and it's I can't even talk about it. Really, I'm surprised I even said anything. But um, I hear you. I'm sorry I brought it up. No, I brought it up. Oh, okay. And and then you know I I was listening to you last week talk about your mom. And her ashes, and um, I have my dog's ashes, and that was not my wish, but this is what happened, and I find myself sleeping with them sometimes. Um, I I don't know if that's a little strange or not, but I don't think I that's great. strange at all. No, I think that's very great. very reasonable and normal, in fact. And I, I and his ashes are so beautiful. I've seen many ashes of human remains and they were so ugly so gray and black and just dust and yucky looking and um my dog was a husky and his his bones are pure white with like pearls Ooh! oh my goodness 
the Tibetans said that means he was um, a, a, a holy person. They already knew he was a holy person. Oh, my gosh. But that was, they said that's the proof. And many times these great lamas um, have, have these like rainbow crystals. And this is exactly oh. what I have. Oh, wow. So I wanted to share that with you. Thank you. And um, speaking of huskies, I don't know if, if you ever heard of anybody in the neighborhood they used to call the husky lady. No. Well, anyway, that that's me. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, yeah. Um, I've had some huskies. That, that's, that's my breed. So I stumbled across the most amazing thing, and it was in reference to metabolism and the cold weather. Uh-huh. In, interestingly enough, the husky is the only canine species that can regulate their metabolism, alter, I'm sorry, alter their metabolism. And they said that is due to, you know, I don't know how, how many hundreds of years of them being uh, out, you know, running the sleds in extreme temperatures. And because they can alter their metabolism, they require only 60% of the calories that any other species of, of canine would otherwise require. For instance, if uh, my dog was 74.6 pounds, Year after year, he weighed in at 74.6 pounds. Okay. He, reg- he regulated his eating, they, and, and he only got about two cups of food a day, which seems like very little for a right. big dog, like where another dog would get four cups. Yes. And get fat. <laughs> and he Probably. didn't. No. Yeah, no. quite no. amazing. And what's amazing is that I had um, gained a lot of weight after an accident because I was so sedentary. And when I had to get uh, moving or lose my leg, um, I was out sometimes 20 below zero every day for hours and hours at a time. And the weight just melted off me. It just disappeared. And I think they said it had something to do with, I didn't didn't read anything about the mitochondria eating the fat cells, but it did say that they will not burn the fat while they're running. They save it for reserve for when they're resting, then they burn the fat. Wow. And I thought that that just is so unusual. And many uh, uh, in, the, in, in, the, in the animal kingdom, uh, many species also have this ability, something to do with cold and stress. Birds do it, fish do it, amphibians do it, snakes do it, you know. So people can do it too. We might not be naturally inclined, but I think it was a really good suggestion that, that you gave the uh, other Woodstock caller. So I did a little experiment, and I turned my heat down, like, to 55. And I usually like a little a little bit warm. 
um, stuck in the house and I'm not wearing a lot of clothing and uh, I have this nerve damage thing and, you know, not to make excuses, but um, my my body temperature had started like going up and down, up and down. I just couldn't regulate it. And I thought, this is wacky. So I just turned it way, way down, opened the door, got myself cold, probably for about 20 minutes. And then I said, okay, I've had enough. And I found myself feeling very happy with a very reduced intake of calories. Like I didn't require as much food to still feel, you know, normal, like, with energy, energy. Now we have another reason to call you the husky woman. You're learning to, <laughs> you're learning to be a husky. I have been studying animals my whole life, and I consider them our teachers, like Grandmother Twyla taught. Yes. And what I learned about myself um, this summer when I called very upset about a memory was that this person happened to be going through the area to a funeral, like not a funeral, like a memorial uh-huh. that I might have liked to go to, but um, A, I knew I probably wouldn't be invited, B, it wouldn't really physically be possible, and C, I didn't want to have to bump into this other person. So That's a lot of reasons. Somehow, my body knew that this person's being was close. And it made me very uncomfortable. Yeah. But then I became very happy to know that, wow, look what I can do. So I took what you said to do, writing the letter, and finally, I ended up writing the letter to myself, and I apologized to myself, and it seemed to make a great deal of difference in how I now view this this, this situation that had occurred and, and, and that I had internalized somatically. And so I'm working on trying to release all that, and it's not comfortable to do that, and it's not easy. But I would like to do some important things, and I just have to try to get some of this stuff, you know, cleaned up once and for all and and try, you know, try to really um, be grateful for the energy that I've created within my being and and that I know if danger is around, I, I will know it. And not to be scared, just to be aware of it and and. And thank you so much for that, allowing me to, you know, dump my tears all over the, the telephone in your, into your ear because I was, I was really having a nervous breakdown over the whole thing, and I didn't understand how, what, what could be happening. Like, wh- why would this old, old memory show up and bother me more than, it, than the actual event even did? I thought it was very odd. It does so, seem yeah. very odd, doesn't it, that, that it resonates more strongly um, when we remember than when it actually happened. It's almost as though it was so strong when it actually happened that we couldn't be present with it. Wow. Wow, I didn't, I didn't ever imagine that. Yeah, that makes sense. 
It, it's yeah. all, it reminds me of how we get afraid of, like, going to the doctor, and we go, and we're like, well, that wasn't so bad. But but what we put ourselves through with the fear and the anxiety is much worse than the actual event. Much worse, yes. Yeah. So much true. worse, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, and I look forward to uh, the show, and I and I just wanted to tell you, um, I haven't forgotten about that book. I would like to uh, uh, let you see and, um, you know, see what you can do with it. Um, I just don't feel comfortable uh, in any way um, delivering it except for, like, it's right to your house, so... If if I could have your permission, I'll, I'll I'll call you sometime. And if you're around, and I have somebody with wheels, we could just swing by and drop it off to you. Yeah, does that yeah. work? Yeah. Okay. Good. Give me give good. me a call when you think it's gonna work. Okay. Good. Okay. All right, Dick. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye. Oh. Doctor. All right, and. Oh, what we have been waiting for is to get to spend time with Dr. Shilpa Ravella, a gastroenterologist and author with expertise in nutrition. Her first book is A Silent Fire, The Story of Inflammation, Diet, and Disease was just published last year. Her writing has appeared in The Atlantic, New York Magazine, Slate, Discover, and USA Today, among others. And she has appeared as an expert on ABC's Good Morning America in print media outlets, including Forbes, Cosmopolitan, Food and Wine, Glamour, and Women's Health. Dr. Shilpa Ravella is an assistant professor of medicine at Columbia University Medical Center. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here. We are so excited to get to talk to you. I asked a couple of people today, I said, so how long ago did I start telling you all that there's only one word for disease and that's inflammation? And most people were saying, that's been about 25 years, Susan. I said, it's so nice to have the science catch up with me. Yeah, it's very true. So I think we're all pretty much in agreement now. There's only one disease, and that disease is inflammation. Well, it certainly is one important uh, mechanism uh, by which uh, disease can be caused. Absolutely true. And what got you interested in it? Well, I had a lot of patients coming into my clinic for one, uh, with chronic inflammatory disorders like celiac disease or inflammatory bowel disease. Some had food sensitivities like non-celiac wheat sensitivity. Uh, A lot of patients came in with irritable bowel syndrome. And a lot of folks had questions on inflammation and gut health in general and what they could do to combat inflammation in their bodies and what all of these uh, nebulous terms that they've been hearing around for a long time actually meant. And so that really got me thinking more about inflammation, and I started also thinking about this entity called hidden inflammation or silent oh, inflammation. Oh, what? Oh, uh, silent inflammation. What kind of inflammation? Hidden. Silent. Hit me. Silent inflammation. Oh, hidden. Silent inflammation. Got it. Yes. Silent. Wait, yes. Just for some reason, you cut out on that word, and I wanted to really hear it. Thank oh, you. Oh, okay. 
Okay, sorry about that. So, yes, silent inflammation or hidden inflammation is the type of inflammation that we can't really see with our naked eye, uh, but it kind of simmers in the body, and it's very insidious and eventually can potentially lead to major diseases. Well, how do you find hidden inflammation? Well, it's, so one of the one of the salient features of this type of hidden inflammation is that we are not routinely used to testing for or treating this type of inflammation. Uh, if you go to your doctor's office, you're unlikely to hear, hey, let me test you for inflammation, and here, here's the treatment for it. But there are some proxies. You know, for example, if someone has belly fat or just uh, fat around the belly, that can be a marker for something called visceral fat. And visceral fat is a type of fat that rocks around your inner abdominal organs. And this type of fat is highly inflammatory. In fact, it turns out inflammation at all hours of the day. So if you have, if you have some of the belly fat, then you do know that you most likely have some visceral fat that is inflammatory. Uh, some other proxies are if, if you go to your doctor's office and you are diagnosed with elevated blood sugar levels, uh, that's also a proxy for being silently inflamed. Uh, so there are a couple of things that we can test in the doctor's office and beyond that, there are, there are markers, uh, blood markers of inflammation. For example, there's a marker called C-reactive protein, or CRP, and this is a molecule that's produced by the liver in response to areas of inflammation. And CRP acts kind of like a thermometer of inflammation in your body. It takes the temperature of how inflamed you are. Uh, so it can tell us that inflammation is there, but the problem is that it, is that it can't tell us why it's there or how long it's been there for, where it's coming from. So it's not necessarily very specific, meaning that if you have, say, a common cold, you could have an elevation in CRP just as you would if you had another sort of inflammatory disorder. And that tends to be the problem with a lot of these inflammatory markers is that they're not very specific. Yes, because after all, without inflammation, um, we could die. We actually need inflammation. It's not That's like very we, true. Yeah. Not like we can totally ever get rid of it. Um, I'm especially interested in the connection between modern dietary fats and inflammation. Have you looked at that at all? Yes, I have. And diet plays a huge part in causing or preventing inflammation today. And, you know, we, we know that one of the most important things that we can do is to follow a very, very healthy diet that involves lots and lots of wonderful plant foods. And people often have questions about fat. Is, is all fat bad? And we know today that all fat is not bad. There are certain types of fats that are anti-inflammatory and actually good for your body. So we know uh, that saturated fat, for example, which is the type of fat you typically tend to find in in animal products, uh, meat, dairy, cheese, butter, that type of fat, having an excess of saturated fat in your diet is actually inflammatory on so many levels. Um, you know, it can, it can activate inflammatory genes and cytokines. It can have adverse effects upon uh, your gut microbiome or the collection of bacteria that you have inside of your intestines. We know that uh, saturated fat in general when we take in food high in saturated fat, it is indeed inflammatory for our bodies. Uh, most 
important kinds of fats you should be eating are the types of fats that you get from plant foods, and these are unsaturated fats. So these are the types of fats that you would find in things like nuts and seeds and avocados. And omega-3 fats are a type of unsaturated fat, especially important um, because they have been shown to have uh, a beneficial effects in a variety of chronic inflammatory disorders. And they're very important for heart health, for our brains, uh, and so we need to be consuming as many of these fats as we, as we can. So, so there is certainly a difference between the type of fat that we ingest and the effects of that type of fat upon our bodies. Yes, earlier in the show, someone was asking about olive oil. That's a great question. And when you look at the medical literature, olive oil perhaps captures the most attention in the medical literature when it comes to all of the different oils out there. And I usually tell people if you're going to choose to include oil in your diet, olive oil is, is a good one to include because when you substitute olive oil for some of these saturated fats that I mentioned, uh, you actually can decrease inflammation in your body. And olive oil has some important components, uh, polyphenols, for example, uh, like oleocanthal, which can be anti-inflammatory and act upon some of the same pathways that modern drugs like non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs act upon. So substituting olive oil uh, for those saturated fats is, is indeed health-promoting. And at the same time, I also do tend to caution patients not to overdo it on oils in general, even olive oil, just because, um, you know, I wouldn't say drink cups and cups of olive oil or anything like that, uh, because oil itself is, is a somewhat uh, processed food in general. Yes. Yeah. I find that this is somewhat confusing for people, that they hear seeds are good, nuts are good, and then we say, oh, but the oil from seeds and oil from nuts isn't good. And they can't, they can't quite, like, understand the difference in concentration. And what I try to explain is when you're eating a nut, you're getting fiber. Right. The fiber and the fat, and there's probably vitamin E to cofferols in there as well, are going to all work together. Whereas when you're just getting like the oil from the seed or the nut, if you're lucky, there's tocopherols in there, but not often, and you sure don't get any fiber. Right, that exactly. And I think along with that, what you yeah, understand. That's absolutely true. What happens is when the closer you are to eating a whole food, the right, better. Exactly. When you're eating the whole nut, as you said, right. you have so many different nutrients playing a part. And fiber is actually one of our most anti-inflammatory nutrients. And meanwhile, 95% of Americans have a fiber deficiency. We don't even meet the minimum uh, recommended amount of fiber that we, we need to take in. And from an inflammation standpoint, oh, no. if you really want it's to prevent and treat some of those disorders, we need to go beyond uh, those numbers. Uh, so, so, you know, these nuts and seeds, when they're in their whole form, they have so many good things going into your body. You know, all of that fiber, polyphenols. Polyphenols are uh, phytochemicals, and uh, phytochemicals are substances that plants actually produce to protect themselves against things like predators. But some of these phytochemicals are very good for the human body, and polyphenols, uh, you often find them in sort of dark-colored, fruits and vegetables as well. And you can find them in nuts and seeds. You can find them in spices. And so eating those nuts and seeds, you know, gives you the polyphenols as well. And those polyphenols 
can calm inflammation in the body. They can have beneficial effects upon the gut microbiome. Uh, the gut microbiome also uh, metabolizes the fiber that you eat. So when you're eating the nuts and seeds instead of the oils, you know, you're, you're feeding the bacteria, the good bacteria inside of your gut. And that's one of the most important things that you can do for gut health. And that's something else that, that will calm inflammation in your body. Wow. Thank you for drawing that spiral and connecting all of those things for us. People so often seem to want a little solution when what's happening is their whole body. Right, right. It's, it's um, you know, I think having the whole food, be it uh, the nut or the seed or, or you know, when you look at processed foods uh, versus uh, the whole foods that the processed foods come from, you know, uh, the, the more you can eat the minimally processed whole foods, uh, the better. And this also means taking into account cooking techniques. So instead of eating the uh, deep fried, you want to eat maybe the lightly sauteed foods, uh, the baked foods, or even sometimes even the raw foods. Raw foods can be very easy to eat, and some raw fruits and vegetables have been you know, shown to have higher amounts of some of these important nutrients like vitamins and minerals and polyphenols uh, than their cooked counterparts. But I always do advise oh. patients that sometimes, sometimes cooking a food, uh, like simmering uh, uh, tomatoes into a tomato sauce, sometimes cooking that food can also increase the amount of certain nutrients. So the raw and cooked foods both play an important part in, in health. There are definitely vitamins that are preserved and more available in raw food, but I don't know of any mineral that's more available in a raw food. Minerals in general are kind of, you know, slow pokes and have to really get kicked around in order to come out and play. Um, so, uh, you know, let's, let's cycle back around to fiber because fiber is such an approachable thing. And as you said, 95% of people, that includes some of you out there listening, are not getting enough fiber. How do you suggest that people get more fiber? I think one of the best the best things that folks can do to incorporate more fiber into their meals is to really learn how to cook, you know, some some uh, beans and rice, so lots of legumes and lots of whole grains. And when you look at this dish, rice and beans, it, it seems like a simple dish, but, you know, it's really an amazing dish because it is so filled with fiber, even more than a lot of fruits and vegetables can be sometimes. And that dish of rice and beans, you know, it's... Um, it has been shown, even in randomized controlled trials across age groups, uh, legumes and whole grains have been shown to calm inflammation in the body, to actually calm those inflammatory markers. So eating a lot of rice and beans, I think, is, is one of you know, the best things that you can do. And the microbes in your gut will take all of that fiber, they'll metabolize it into something called short-chain fatty acids. And these are compounds that are very uh, nourishing for your gut, but they also have effects around your body. They calm inflammation all around the body. So they're not just limited to the gut. The more of those short-chain fatty acids that you can have in your body, the better. And in addition to whole grains and, and legumes, uh, I would also say lots of fruits and vegetables. Uh, you know, I think a salad is a great meal uh, to have and try to fill it with a lot of uh, those 
uh, dark leafy greens and and things like berries, for example, very very dark colored berries. When you look at the color of a food, that can tell you something about its nutrient content as well. So when you're walking around the grocery store and you see things like iceberg lettuce and bananas, you know, these are not bad foods. These are still healthy foods, but you do want to focus on those colorful foods as well. Uh, the wild foods, the foods that are in season, a lot of these foods are more chock full of nutrients than, than their conventional counterparts as well. But those are some of the ways to get enough fiber into the diet. That is great. A um, serving of raw romaine lettuce, which is a cup, is more nutritious than a serving of butternut squash, a serving of broccoli, a serving of red bell pepper, a serving of cabbage, a serving of tomatoes. Do not ever think that if you're eating greens that they don't count. All of those greens really count. My daughter lives in a blue zone in Costa Rica. And okay. there they have a dish called pinto, which is beans and rice mixed together. And every small farm has its own bean that it grows. Oh, wow. And they, they eat pinto at least three times a day. Whatever you're That's eating. Amazing. Pinto is on your plate. The, and it, the, they cook the rice and beans separately, and then they mix them together, and that's how it's served. And, of course, you know, the sauce of the house or the sauce of the housewife or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. to make it that special thing. And on the rare occasion, a little meat gets mixed in with it. Mm-hmm. That's really amazing. And you mentioned the blue zones, which, which I think is a perfect uh, concept, and it was a concept popularized by journalist Sam Butner, but you know, these areas around the world that we can sort of mimic where, where folks tend to live very long historically, where, where they follow practices like this. And, and, and those folks really learned how to cook uh, whole grains and legumes. So places like Costa Rica, like you mentioned, and Okinawa, Japan, uh, Sardinia, Italy, Acaria, Greece, uh, Loma Linda, California, all of these different blue zones around the world where, where folks, you know, really know how to prepare those plant foods minimally processed whole plant foods and, you know, they add, you know, they may add in superfoods like seaweed and minimally processed soy and meat is indeed used as a flavoring, more as like a side dish or just a flavoring as opposed to being, you know, the main dish of of the evening. So I think that's really wonderful. And, And also all of these other things that folks are doing in blue zones beyond diet to calm inflammation and those include things like just fostering social connections, just being very connected to other people and having purpose, some sort of a purpose uh, throughout your days. And I think that really struck me as well, uh, because as we all get older, as we all age, and our physical capacities change, our mental capacities change, and we still want to have purpose. And and I love that, you know, uh, folks in the blue zone one of the most important ideas is to continue to maintain that purpose throughout life. And you really see that. You see this beautiful care that's taken of the elders and that the generations are there to mix, that the children get to spend time with the elders and they're not all kept separated like this so frequently the right. case in Western culture where older people get right, shunted away. True. And so yeah, it, gives, true. it almost gives one like kind of like, oh, that's what I'll be when I grow up, you know, instead of like, oh, yeah. I never get old. 
exactly. And and they have studies on this that grandparents spending time with their grandkids actually can improve uh, the health of the grandparents and the health of the kids as well. And meanwhile, in in America, for example, we have a huge uh, loneliness epidemic. It's an epidemic at this point, and the pandemic only made it worse. But now, you know, we, we also have data on how uh, loneliness is tied to inflammation, how, how our loneliness or uh, social isolation, and not everyone who is socially isolated is necessarily lonely, but the two often tend to go hand in hand. And and we have data showing that uh, those things are tied to higher levels of inflammation in the body and higher levels of inflammatory diseases, like heart disease and cancer and diabetes and all of these other things. Wow! Holy shit! You think of you think of people about, being lonely because they're stuck at home or there isn't any way for them to connect to people, and so. For that, I see many people make good use of the internet. Right, that's true. You know, just having uh, some interaction with the internet, but not an excessive amount. And and it's hard because I think sometimes you know a lonely individual could could see it as a personal failing, whereas it's not a personal failing. You know, to be lonely, uh, it's it's a systemic problem and it's a public health issue, and and it's something that does have to be addressed on a national level and something that, that uh, uh, healthcare providers also have to be more aware about in terms of how to identify it and how to treat it. Uh, you know, it's, it's uh, something that is as deadly as, you know, uh, obesity or smoking. And they have studies mm. to show this as well, that being lonely uh, can is actually as deadly as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah. And know in Japan they're now using robots to um, help deal with loneliness. Yeah, it's, yeah, I think I heard about that as well, and I think it, 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 if that does indeed help, then that would be that would be um, you know something that could be like an adjunctive kind of therapy as well. What a, what a fascinating idea! Because you know I've often said women are, are so relationship is so important to women that mm-hmm. if they can't relate to a person, they'll relate to an animal. And if they can't relate mm-hmm. to an animal, they'll relate to a plant. And if they can't relate to a plant, by golly, we'll relate to rocks. <laughs> well, you know, you said something very interesting there, relate to rocks, because I think the other addressing loneliness is also just getting out in nature. Relating to those rocks is actually so powerful, I think, as well. You know, just being out in nature and and getting some contact with those gut microbes, uh, because what we can do to sustain a healthy gut, a healthy gut microbiome, is also to have some connection with these ancestral microbes that are found in you know, soil and water. And so going out into nature you know, can really calm the immune system and it can also enhance immunity. So before a lonely individual, I, I feel like one of the best immediate treatments is just spending more time in nature or relating to those rocks, as, as you put it. Right, relate to the rice. I'm a great proselytizer for a soil bacteria. In fact, I often say to people, you know, really, although you can pick up a few extra vitamins from a few raw foods, basically if you do without raw foods, it's okay. And then I send them out to pick raw foods for salad. And they look at me like, are you like a crazy woman? And I say, well, it's not really, I don't think you're going to get any nutrition from this salad. I said, it's my sneaky way of getting soil bacteria into you. 
Ah, that's a good, that's a good point. Right, because of course they don't wash it. Right, so it's literally they, it's not that that's dirty or there's grit on it. We don't want to yuck, you know. Come on, I'm a gourmet, but but I know, and we all know because we are bacteriologically, you know, sophisticated that it's covered with soil bacteria. As a matter of fact, I, yeah. as a result of uh, radiation treatment, have an unhealable wound. And the doctor said, I think it might be infected, so she sent it out for a swab. I said, it's not infected and came back. She said, there's soil bacteria in your wound. And I said, and there will probably always be soil bacteria in my wound. Come on, I pee in the woods. Oh, wow. And it's a wound at, yeah. my, at my sacral area. <laughs> You're not putting, we're not even treating it. It's like doesn't doesn't count soil bacteria in me. We're, all, we're okay. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's really tough to find that balance in the, Western world sometimes because, you know, for for such a long time, we've been so used to getting rid of every single germ that we see anywhere. And and with some good reason because, you know, we, we've had all of these devastating, uh, deadly infectious diseases. But now we, we're, kind of, we're kind of realizing that, you know, we do have to have some relationship with the germs, uh, with these commensal germs and with the germs that live outside and around us as well. We do need to be interacting with them and we do need to have some dirt on us. And especially for children, I think that's one of the most important things for children as well is to just let them get dirty sometimes. And I always say with my daughter, you know, if I'm taking her to a picture-perfect park with, you know, um, a weed-free lawn, then she washes her hands. But if we're going hiking in a very safe area, then and I say, okay, you probably don't need to wash your hands after that. You know, it's um, there's always Wonderful. a fine line between. Yeah. Yes. Oh, how nice to make that distinction so that you really, it's the feeling for wild nature. Yeah. Yeah. I could just talk to you forever. You're so fascinating. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us. Unfortunately. Ooh, oh, they, 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 they limit so us, though. So I have been a little negligent. If people want to get in touch with you or read more about it, how can they do that? Sure. Uh, I delve into a, a lot of these topics in quite some detail in A Silent Fire. And if you go to uh, com, or if you just Google A Silent Fire, the story of inflammation, diet, and disease, you'll come across links with plenty more information. Wonderful. And is there anything you wanted to talk about that I haven't asked you or brought up? Um, I guess the only other thing I would say is that I, I think um, I think every person is really empowered in this world to advocate for themselves and to really put practices into place today that can really help them take charge of their own health, the health of their loved ones, and in the process contribute to uh, the, the uh, health of the planet as well, to averting things like climate change and future pandemics. Uh, so I hope that's one thing that comes across and, and something that is inspiring for folks. Thank you. Thank you for all of the work and the research you are curating and the words that you are sharing to help us remember and restore ourselves. I envision that we are all reweaving the healing cloak of the ancients. And so I want you to know that we appreciate the shimmering thread that you have added to this cloak tonight with words and with your presence. Thank you so much. 
Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And hey, Sarah Ellen, Hypericum Conference, St. Jonesworth, St. Jonesworth, here we come. Herbal medicine as people medicine. Woohoo! Green blessings, everybody. Thank you all.